Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Do you seek him? You have found yourself among those who roll the dark dice. What you are about to hear happened long ago, a story brought back from the edge of oblivion, dutifully transcribed and enhanced orally to better captivate your attention. Previously, the team set off for Milmeter's Hope to find the town's missing children. Instead, something else found them. Now within the roaming forest, can they endure the trials to come? Will the team's resolve hold up? Will odds roll in their favor? Fear the strangers in your midst. Never play games of fate. Lord Welcome to the domain of the nameless god. Dark Dice, Chapter 11, Scars. The team continued their journey north through the ever-changing colors of the roaming forest. As the team passed the next hour of travel, they had been awake and walking for twelve hours straight. Bodies sore and weak from the day's encounters, they felt strongly the effects of fatigue upon their bodies. Not in the game mechanic sense yet, but just in a cinematic sense. And it was slightly after this point in time that they soon noticed a cocoon suspended five feet in the air some twenty paces off the path. The cocoon contained a head at its bottom side, belonging to Filkia. The blood gone from her now pallid complexion. Five feet. That's pretty high for dwarves, I guess. I I think I can shoot the cocoon down. Well, we can't step off the path, but she seems fine out there. I mean, we need to... We need to discuss the really obvious things. She may be... So- I did tell you something happened in those tunnels. Yeah. She tried to kill me. We were fine, but then she just stabbed me, very nearly killing me. I know we, we we had to deal with it, but she stepped out in that forest and no weird fog appeared, no weird mist, and she didn't get teleported back with us. And we know we can't step off the path and she's 20 paces out, even if we manage to get her down. Someone's got to go get her. I mean, I, I might have some sort of magic to bring her here. I grab a tiny pebble from the path and chuck it at the cocoon. Fligia! The stone struck the body of the cocoon, swaying it slightly. Filgia now needed to roll a d20. 15. Filgia remained unconscious. Wait a minute, doesn't matter how bad you feel. With these words, you, I'm gonna heal. And I'm gonna cast Cure Wounds on her, level one, because I'm not giving her any more. Uh, so that's eight healing. Filgia exploded outward in a mass of worms, beetles, and maggots. Ugh. She fell onto the ground and quickly scattered, chittering in different directions. I, I turn around and cover my face. Am I awake now? Filgia could not hear their calls of disgust or vomiting. We are left to assume that she was still meditating on the path some 45 minutes ahead of the party. I just turn around and cover my face. (laughs) All right, good to know. Let's... (coughs) Let's get out of here. That tells you what I think about her. The team collectively failed their sanity-saving throws, increasing their stress by ten and shaking their trust in their senses. 
I'll, I'll take the damage. I'm not even gonna. I'll take that. That's that's grim. That wasn't Fligia. That was one of the tricks to try to try, get us get us off the path. But now, if we do meet her, we're not gonna be able to trust it's her. Anyone we meet from this point. Welcome to my world. I think most of us didn't trust her anymore after the incident. To clarify, Ayas uh, did attack her. I did not. From my perspective, it looks like you were even using Father Westpike as a human shield. It doesn't matter. I did, no. I hadn't even pulled anything out. I was not going to fight her at all and never struck back. Then why was she wounded? She was like that when she came back from the other side of the stones. Oh, never mind. I realise how crazy that all sounds now, saying it loud. I saw it. I saw your hand stuck in the stone. We can't trust her. If we... Even if we do meet her again, even if that isn't her, we can't trust it. Whoever gets the unfortunate uh, task of staying up with her, keep an eye out. Don't turn your back. Y'all know how much I like to sleepwalk and stab people in the chest, so trust is thinning all around. I may be going to suggest that when we do go to sleep, we do it as a two and a three. I mean, Soren, it's, it's not your fault we can't trust you. You understand that, right? I hope so. Okay, so that leaves two people who can't do a watch. And at least three of us. Can we put two people we don't trust on watch together? We can't. We can't have you both on watch. We can't do that. Fair enough. This is a problem for when we sleep. Let us keep moving and hopefully find Fligia. Rowena, who held the cursed map, moved to lead the party. We can't go anywhere but this path, so there's no point having the map out. Let's not make ourselves more insane. Rowena, get behind me. I'll, I, I'll, I'll take the front. Well, I'm pretty sure this path is wide enough for two of us. And so the team continued on for another hour. And with Soren in the middle of the party, staring at the backs of Rowena and Father Westpike, silently fidgeting with the bleeding dagger, his grip on reality deviating further and further, required a perception check. Nineteen. Soren Arkwright noticed a shadow moving across the edge of his vision, immobile when he looked at it directly. It was his own shadow, but Soren was smart, smarter than a mere shadow. He was able to trick it into a moment of laxity, looking quickly enough at it to see what it was doing. <laughs> Stupid shadow. Soren was able to witness his shadow rise up from the ground, the outline of their shared dagger clean in its hands, poised to stab Rowena in the back. But as it saw Soren notice its bold actions, the shadow turned to face him and silently laughed before a blink made it vanish. Soren realized that he couldn't have seen his shadow because in this light, the shadow was beneath him. He stopped for the briefest of moments, acting as if he dropped something, and violently stabbed his shadow for a few moments, until he'd earned the attention of the rest of the party. Soren? <sighs> I, uh... I, I'm so embarrassed to say this, but, um... I might just be a little low on sleep. I think I just saw my... my shadow threatened to stab you, and then it looked at me in a most unpleasant manner. So just, uh, watch me and my shadow as we go along, if you wouldn't mind. Okay, okay. How about this? How about we all just hold on to each other? So if you think you're about to get, to go attack someone, I'm, I'm not saying me, but if, if I feel you, I'm going to pull a dagger out and stab someone else, then I'll... I'll know it in a second, and I'll pull you back. I also think I saw something beckon me towards the trees again. The faint light faded back behind the trees in the distance before the others could spawn it. What we've got at the moment is clearly not working, and also you need to feel safe too. Are you suggesting we hold hands? 
Mm, yeah. At least then we know that the person we have hold of is person we can trust because they've not disappeared or gone on us and we can check each other and make sure that we're not about to stab each other or, or run off madly into the distance. This is like an improved version of the body system. I don't think we have much choice right now. And also, like, randomly stepping off the path and disappearing. I didn't know where I was going when I jumped off the path. If I was holding on to you, I would have gone with you too. You're right. Uh, I grab Rowana's hand. Absolutely. Let's stay close and stay on the path. Cuddles? Anyone? Ayas? Sure, why not? We've gone from rugged independent types to the Wizard of Oz in like ten seconds. <laughs> you're just upset because you're not holding my hand. The team traveled that way, hand in hand, for another ten minutes before they could see a figure up ahead. Slow at first, but gaining speed in a sprint toward them. It, it looks too small to be Flagia. It couldn't be. Baron? A young boy, garbed in simple clothes, ran at full speed toward the party, tears in his eyes. Daddy! Dad! The boy looked exhausted and tired, but continued at his pace despite his condition. It's my son! I guess it might not be. I know it might not be, but for the time being, let's... Let me at least hope. I approach quickly to the small thing running towards us. Does it look like a dwarven child to me? This was definitely a dwarven child of around 10 or 12 years old. Light stubble was already lining his face. And though physically young, the creases around his eyes spoke of hardships never mentioned. His clothes and feet were covered in a mix of dirt and mud. His hair matted and smeared as well. But he ran to give Ayas a big embrace that none could find the strength to step between. I take a step back and I'm, like, intently studying the situation. Me too. Baron, is it really you? Of course. Who else would I be? I escaped the cultists. I kicked one of them in the nuts. That's my boy. So why are you here? I came looking for you. You did? Oh, gods be darned. I knew you'd come. They took us. They... I think they used magic or something. I only remember being in bed and then in the woods. We were walking and walking and there were so many of them. The bad men and women... There was no opportunity to escape until just about ten minutes ago. They've got my friend still. Maybe about six hours that way. Six hours? But you said that... Uh, oh, no, no, it's nothing. I'll, I'll let the others think about that. Come here. I'll give him another hug. You were... You were saying that the others and the children are just up ahead, but also six hours ahead? Yet uh, you just escaped a few minutes ago? Getting back is a lot faster. It's after you get through the gates that it gets more difficult to go back. Did the people that had you captive tell you that? No. We've been walking for days, though. And I passed all of the places we'd walked in minutes. Bright child you have there. Yeah, I know. He gets that from me. How many of the, how many of the children have survived this far? Do they have all of them? They... not all of us, no. At the gate, the big one outside in the mist, before we went underground. The, the big scarred guy killed Gilly. But he had a very important question. Can I... Oh, shit. Can I just make sure this is actually my son? As Ayas leaned back from the hug to take a better look at his son's face, rolling a 17 for perception, he could see nothing wrong with his son's physical appearance. But the expression on Baron's face was one he'd never seen before. Something... sinister. Feeling without a body. Yearning without a soul. Do you seek him? The hairs on Ayas's neck rose as blood trickled from his chest, cutting open the wounds that Filgia had created not more than a day ago. Stay where you are, you're not gonna get far. And I'm casting whole person on that little cretin. The creature pulled the knife from Ayas's chest, an ornate dagger before quickly dashing off the path into the woods with a delighted laughter that twisted into a horrid shriek. 
As it fled, the boy grew taller and more emaciated, its clothing melding into its flesh. But the spell did not take hold over the Silent One. Those who followed its path noted the three glowing orbs staring back at the party, delighted, before vanishing fully beyond view, leaving the team in a defensive silence. His will breaking, Ayas gained 25 stress damage as he remained in place, kneeling, quietly shaking, a father on the edge of tears. Rowena and Soren glanced around the team, verifying that the immediate threat had ended. I'm, I'm really sorry, Ayas. I've, I've been worse. Have you? I'm going to reach towards his stomach and heal the wound. By all that is holy, please heal this man. Show him the light of love and the warmth of friendship. Let's just get you talking again. You don't look so well. Tell me something that was worse. A bear. It was, it was definitely a bear. A bear? What do you mean, bear? It, it, it just came right at us and tore her throat open. What, whose throat? Rowena's. When we found the body, she was like that. But she's... She's right here. It wasn't a bear. It, it was me. It was me. I killed her. I was going to kill her. I'm sorry. I, I think you're not well. Just shut up and let me explain. I've never had family before. Never been this close to someone and had them taken away and put back in my grasp like a goddamn lure. Endured some pretty horrible shit in my lifetime, and I can't think of a worse fate, so I won't kill her because out of all the shitty things that have happened here over the past few days, I don't want you to have to go through that Sindri West Pike. Your fucking cousins may be sadistic bastards, but you've proven to me one thing on this journey, and that you are not one of them. You've been reliable, you've been faithful, you've been honest, and and you are the only one of us who doesn't seem to have any any alternative motives other than to help me rescue the children, my son included. You had plans to kill Rowena? Yes, and I'm sorry. Despite everything she's done thus far, she's decent enough and I have no plans to harm her anymore. You both know I'm right here. Th- then, then I suppose... Then I accept your apology. Pelor teaches redemption and forgiveness... And I would be... You are forgiven for your dark thoughts, Ayas. We all have dark moments. And as long as we do not act upon the temptation, and we are able to grow from them, remember this moment. And let me help you up. You are healed. Thank you. Not to be a mood killer, but your promise of no murdering friends, that, that extends to me as well, right? Let's get going. My son's out there somewhere. The team continued walking in contemplative silence for a while longer until eventually, the shape of a figure meditating in the middle of the road appeared. Weapons at the quick draw, still on edge, the team stepped closer, until they were a mere ten feet away from the figure that resembled Filgia. Finally, you're back! I've been waiting here the whole time! Where did you go? Apparently, walking off the path teleports most of us. Vajir, we need to make sure it's really you. Perception check, natural twenty. Okay, she looks pretty much the same, except that she's got a tattoo that appears to be glowing slightly. What's with the tattoo? What? What's that tattoo you got? What tattoo? The one on your neck that's glowing. This one? I've had this the whole time. What are you talking about? Anyone else noticed that before? I have no recollection of it, but I never gave her... I didn't look her up closely when we met her. I'm assuming that it's some kind of pagan druid magic thing, 
that tattoo you have on your neck. This is from my nights of service with the dark bloods of Merkiv's Hollow. Oh. I, I don't speak of it. I hide it. That's why you didn't see it. Oh, yes, are you sure? I think deep in my memory, recalling the history of that specific mark. Natural one. Fuck. Ooh. Natural one. Natural one. Okay, so I'm still pretty sure it's from the Darklands, but I can't recognize it. I've seen my fair share of the Darklands slave brands, and this has the signs of being one. I'm just not sure which one, so it checks out. And you did not see it when I was in my wolf form. Yeah, or your crazy murderer form. People usually don't pay attention to my neck as much as you do. <laughs> I happen to have a thing for necks, but you're just not my type. Tall and independent? <laughs> Female. Hmm. Ah, that's fair. Plagir, um... Yes? We... When we got put to where we were, um, they said that we should just keep walking on the path and go straight, and if we go off it, then really bad shit will happen. So, uh, why don't you lead the way? You seem to be in here pretty fine on your own, so if you go ahead and... Well, uh, we keep following up. Pathway's not really wide enough for three of us, so... Are we officially adding to the buddy system? You want me to lead the way, but you didn't even tell me where in the Nine Hells you went. You just left me here for two hours, or, or three, or however long it was. You remember, you remember that thing when I said about that, like, going into the mist makes bad shit happen off the path? Yeah. What happened? We got teleported back to the start. Back to where we were, that weird creepy little guy that was sort of hung in a tree. So you just walked all the way back here? Yep. Well, we hustled. We did our best. Actually, we all uh, held hands and sang a musical number or two on the way. We saw some things that tried to pull us off the path. Uh, illusions and such. Do not trust your eyes while you're here. I believe anything we see until we reach the castle can be dubious at best. So we go on to the castle then? Yep. Good. Let's go. You, for whatever reason, seem to be safer here than the rest of us, so you should probably lead the way. I'm one with nature, Rowena. I, I give her a wry smile, which just hides utter terror. Filgia's grin and wink stayed with Rowena long into the walk, replaying over and over again in her head. Rowena had learned much today. From murder plots to ooze attacks, to bearing witness to some truly horrible events she would rather soon forget. It wasn't until approximately seven additional hours of walking that she noticed the slowing pace of Father Westpike. Aged, his hands shaking, holes lining his gloves and shoulder from the earlier encounter with the acid. He'd now been awake for at least twenty hours. Up ahead! It looks like an archway. Sure enough, perhaps a quarter mile ahead stood a large, empty stone archway, the path passing directly through it. Should we camp at the archway ahead? Well, it looks nicely inviting, so it's obviously the place not to camp. I agree with that. It looks like the archway's from the tunnel, right? Yes, but not as intricate. It looked like the simpler ones. Wasn't there something about time moving differently through archways? Yeah. There was. Yes, time goes slower for those on the other side of an archway, so when you pass through, things will change and we'll have to move faster. So we camp on the other side. Slower time means more time. N no, see, <laughs> if you're on this side of the archway and you look through to the far side of the archway ahead, you'll be watching things move slower on that side. Time dilates and shifts at different intervals here, but the arches are the one constant. We are pursuing the kidnappers and running to beat the sundial for sure, but the reason we've had so much time afforded to us is because these archways are slowing them down at every step. I suspect the results are cumulative, so whatever is at the far end of these arches may only experience a few moments pass as hours go by on this end. 
so we'd want to camp on this side to sleep faster, so to speak. Then pursue our enemies through the archway. We want to stay here. Yes, so should we set up camp here? Everyone fine with that? Well, I would prefer that. Any any part of the pathway is all the same, really, so it doesn't really matter. We must well put our beds down here and set a fire for some food. Okay, I'm going to step right on this particular patch of road. It looks extra soft. Who's going to be taking the first watch? Might I suggest that Lady of Bunnies and Soren and Father Westpike have the threesome and me and Rowena take the other watch? Why don't why don't we overlap? Just do a series of overlaps because we're not going to get enough sleep otherwise. So rather than having the troublesome twosome together, we'll split them out. Like uh, Father Westpike and Soren, me and Pike, me and Lady, and then... Oh no, we don't want to put you two together, do we? Look, I'm young and stupid. I'll, I'll do a longer watch. I'll, I'll do a double watch with Full Gear. Sure thing. You all get some sleep. We'll, uh, we'll take it from here. Father Westpike and Soren each sat down and made themselves comfortable, while the rest of their number prepared themselves for sleep and had no difficulty whatsoever finding unconsciousness. What did both men find themselves doing during this time? In an uncomfortable way, I'm kind of studying Soren for, like, probably the first 30 minutes. And I will be... Primarily looking around for anything coming from the woods or any sense of danger, and secondarily watching my own shadow. There would be three hours on this shift, and while Soren began to unconsciously play with the cursed dagger, and Father Westpike tried to rationalize the events of the past day in his mind, the two men required constitution saving throws to remain awake. Both remained awake, sharing a muted hour together, then another eating from their dwindling trail rations, but not sharing a word between them. The bags under Soren's eyes told a story all their own as he stared upon the baleful constellations above, and at one star in specific, while Father Westpike looked over the new scars on his hands, until finally one broke the silence. Soren, what did you call that star again? I believe it's part of a particularly baleful constellation. You had a name for it earlier, I believe. Yeah, it's... It's been sticking in my mind somehow. Iratia. But I don't remember much more beyond the name and a, a certain elated feeling I get when I look at it. Yeah, maybe elated isn't the right word, but it's almost like an adrenaline rush, like I'm expecting something to happen at any moment. Like its very presence dares me to bold actions in the way that a song might call one to a dance they can't remember the steps to. I know there's there's something missing here, and I feel like I'm a part of it, a part of something greater. I feel its call, and it terrifies me. You have very, a very little memory of your past life, right? From before the monster hunts in the Bright Vale. I do. Or I don't. It's always been a sort of a strange gray area for me. Perhaps you were an astrologist. Your fascination with the stars seems to have no end. I'm not sure if the fascination is on my end with them or on their end with me. The call of the stars. I spent many nights wondering what the stars really looked like. My hometown didn't really let you look at the sky, always covered in fog and smog. 
I envy you people that get to look at the stars from early age, to wonder about the universe, the, the world we live in. I don't know where we're going, I don't know how things will turn out, but I hope the best for all of us. Me as well. I want to trust you. Can I trust you? Well, most of the time. <laughs> I, uh, I can't say 100%. Seems I have a knack for going off. Well, your honesty is something to be envied. Most people would say yes and just turn away. I thank you for that. I will do my best to get us all out of this. I, I appreciate that. And truly, if it ever comes down to it, if it is either me or the rest of the group, I hope you'll know what to do. I will keep the group together, and I will get us all out of this. The rest of us, that is. Thank you, Sindri. Thank you, Sora. I leaned back, looking a little bit more peaceful than the first two hours of staring. During that time, Iasinz keeps dreams were pleasant, yet unnerving all the same. He found himself reliving the past few months of his life. However, things were not exactly as he remembered them. Ias felt happier, more content, yes. He remembered a game he used to play, cheating travelers, pilgrims, and adventurers of their coins with his lucky dice, taking from them with each interaction. He was unsurprised to find himself slyly raising prices. He grinned almost subconsciously as his tail picked copper from the pouches of a young dragonborn couple, trying on matching sets of armor. He smiled, hellish inner fire almost visible in his eyes as he offered lone travelers a very special discount on rare items he had locked away in his basement. He only let serious customers down there, he told them. Slowly, with strange familiarity, Ias watched as he sold them powerful relics at great discount patiently waited for them to settle in for the night in the room on the second floor. Ias watched as he walked back to the basement, holding a small yellow and brown herb in his hand, waiting until it began to smolder, burn. Ias then placed the herb into a seal copper pipe in the basement, and waited for a few minutes as he chewed a gray root and relocated his guests to the basement while his son still slept. Ias was surprised to see who it was this time, unconscious Cordellum dwarves posing as pilgrims, led by Raynar the supposedly noble paladin of Tempest. They were probably searching for the dozens who came before, and more would come soon enough, giving Ias the gold he needed to help his village prosper. Ias embraced the thrilling moment when he sharpened his blades and unfolded his proper torturer's kit. The sounds were familiar to his prey, and he waited for them to come too before turning around and daring them with a wink. Ias's thumb screws had been well prepared, and everything put in its very proper theatrical place for their inevitable return to consciousness. He wanted to put on a show, wanted them to feel the fear that they'd made him... No, best not dwell there, not tonight. That would spoil the mood. It was daytime. Ias was back in his shop, placing new gear on the shelf. Dwarven gear. It had taken some time, but every piece had been thoroughly cleared of any personalization and modified with false crafter's marks, just like the Cordalum had taught him. He was good at this, and he enjoyed being in control. Cracks suddenly began to appear in this memory, the dream, and Ias was not entirely sure if he was looking at his past or future. Then, just as suddenly as the dream started, it ended, and he slept dreamlessly, but not at peace. Sindra's gonna let Soren go to sleep, and I'm only going to wake up Rowena. He's sitting down, looking worse for wear, he has his hammer out, and he's polishing it a little bit. And he has Soren's sword to the side, and he intends to work on it a little bit this night. What did Rowena do during that time? I think I think she's probably, like, writing a 
writing a tribute song to the sister because that's something she's not really had a chance to sit and sort out yet so yeah so now I think about it like they're in a place which is full of nature and magic and they've seen a bunch of weird stuff recently so it's probably about time that she sat down and did something like that um yeah so I think she's probably just sitting there and writing and just having a look up at anything that kind of peeks off the side of her hearing or anything or anything such like that really um and she's kind of writing that and looking over at uh, um, Father West Pike, who looks, I'm going to guess, somewhat worse for wear. Tired. Tired into his bone. There's a heavy silence. You can, uh, Rowena can tell there's something if she's at all paying attention to the mood. Father West Pike, who usually tries to initiate conversation with her, is currently, like, very deep in thought and seems focused on the sword he's working on. I'm assuming he's polishing it with some kind of acid. I think she's probably noticed. I think she's not just only used to it, but she's kind of relying on it, if you know what I mean. And if it's not there, I think for her that'd be, like, really uncomfortable. Is everything okay, Cos? Sorry, did... Sorry. I... My mind was somewhere else. Yes, everything... No. Not everything is fine. Everything is far from fine. This is... Yeah. Look, I know nothing here is okay, but... You seem a little bit worse for well. Is there anything I can do? It's mostly, I'm, I have to ask you some questions, and I need you to be completely frank and honest with me. Um... This might change the future of our relationship. Whether you're going straight home once we're done with this madness. Ooh, she looks like really hurt and worried. Well, I will always try and be honest where I can. It's, I guess I'll you the truth, whatever you ask, but I've got nothing to hide. Previously, you mentioned a man by the name of Siliar, who apparently interacted with your family. Can you tell me anything more about him? What do you want to know? He went, he left a little bit before I left. I mean, what do you want to know about him? You left a few months ago. Yeah, it feels like a lifetime ago, but I think it's been like three months. And this man, Siliar, do you remember his last name? Yeah, it was, um, is he came, he's off Strathman. It's what I feared. It's very strange. Very, very strange. Because this is a man from my past, since I was probably younger than you. Well, that doesn't make any sense. He was definitely human. That's the thing. He is human, and as we know, they don't last as well as us. No, you, you, you finally get around to knowing them, and then they, they pop their clocks. Not really worth traveling with them, usually. They just stop halfway through. Maybe it was just, I don't know, maybe it was a son, like, name handed down. No, that's the thing. Celia didn't have any children. He didn't have a wife, as far as I know. And the last I saw of him, he was being lowered. Being lowered into jail for life. Well, I don't see how he could be the same person. I mean, what can I tell you about him? Uh, his face is just a mass of scars. Um, he's middle-aged. Well, he's undoubtedly seen much hardship since I saw him. He was a friendly-faced lad when I met him. A traitor back home in Frost Iron Mountains. Traitor? No, sorry, a cape mother. Um, a merchant, I think is the correct word for them. Oh, okay. Sorry, I don't have as much fluency in the common tongue as I am often credited for. What do you want to know about him? What did he do? What was he doing? He... He should be dead, by all accounts, but not just because he was lowered into the crag, which is a death sentence for anybody, but the time also. Well... What was he doing? What did he do with... He was... He was one of really good friends of... Oh, bother. So this... This guy named Renax, who was... Someone I got involved with... 
and he was always, you know, Celia was always pushing for me to follow what I wanted to do, and he was a fairly nice guy, except for his outward appearance. He always dressed like an adventurer and always had a sharp quip for every equation. He dealt in relics and seemed to have connections deeper underground that any clans I personally had met with. You know, underdark stuff. Great world below the world. He also had this big hatred for elves, which he didn't exactly keep well hidden now I think about it, but... Okay, well it didn't seem... It didn't seem weird at the time, and I don't know if I knew exactly, but... Okay, so he basically set me up with Renax, talked him up, got me to go visit Renax. He had really great date ideas, very romantic, and... But on one of my midnight excursions, I get home to find him going through my ledgers at Cilia. Like, he totally just let himself into my office. And I was right pissed, but I kept my cool and I played the long game and I followed him. And I watched him talk to some, uh, I assume a dwarf in a, in a hood and a garb of nobility, but I never really got to see the face. But I really didn't want to get caught. I wasn't supposed to be out. I wasn't supposed to know this. And I didn't say anything to him then because it was just me alone, on my own. And, well, I figured it would be easier to talk to him in the morning with some guards at my side. And, well, he, <sighs> he still caught me. He, he found me watching him and I don't know how he saw it or how he heard me because I was watching him one minute and the next minute he was right beside me, behind me, threatening to tell me old man about what I was doing with Renax and threatening to have my name torn from the clan records. This was the weird bit. I don't... It's weird. And I don't know if what I saw is what I saw or what I heard was what I heard, but I just... I just had that really weird feeling when he was so angry at me. Like, I don't know if what I was seeing was what I was seeing or just a magic thing. I'm sorry, I'm rambling, but... It's weird. But it was like he wasn't just a man, but... After our talk, he seemed to kind of disappear like he wasn't really there. I'm sorry, who was Ranax? And what was he? What was your dealings with him? If I understand if you don't want to answer me, but this is very important to me. Ranax, he was a trading partner of of my, of my father. and um, One of those. Yeah, I, I don't know how deep the Kordalan were in at the time. I, I don't know any of that. I, I was trying to avoid that like the plague. But Ranax was always very kind to me and well... We got along really well, and you know how one thing can lead to another, and he promised to take me away and marry me, and, well, my father found out after Ciliel disappeared, and my father told me that Renex was a married man with children, and that I'd brought disgrace on everyone and everything in our family. So he sent me to you to see how living with people like you was not as good as living the life I had. I am sorry for your troubles. I wouldn't wish that kind of happenstance to anybody. But to tell you the truth, I... Anybody who's dealing with Cilia at this point, I believe them not to be south of mine. What do you know of him? I know very little. Well, no, I know... I knew a lot of him. What he used to be. A trading man who came to Frostire Mountains to trade for metals. Rare metals crossed by the Gordalum who had infected the political system of my hometown, sentenced to death for simply wanting to buy. Lies spread about him. I, I tried to speak out for him. I, I was too young. Nobody wanted to listen to me. 
last I saw him, he was screaming for help, being lowered into the crack. He was a trading man, uh, taught me many stories. He was the first one to tell me about the sun you could see for 12 hours a day. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've been to the Western Frost Iron Mountains, Westman's Hold. It's deep in the crevice near the Blackstone Forest, and the sun doesn't shine there so much. And the few hours of day we do get sun, there's usually heavy fog and clouds suffocating it out. He told me about places, big empty plots of land where you can see the sun for 12 hours a day. Just bathe in it. Something magical to me. No, at, at the time. Well, if all you knew was kind of darkness, then yeah. Place with nothing but light sounds great. So At this point, I just wish the sun would set in this forest so we can have some, any sort of regular cycle. It'll be nice to see any sort of sky, really. Yes. Underground's a bit... I mean, it's not really that much of a problem, but this weather system's a bit odd. So Siliel was your friend? Yes. I believe he was actually my only friend when I was young. I was a strange kid. I couldn't really deal well with the light of Westman's hold head, so it... It gave me constant migraines. I couldn't really focus. The only time I could really think was at night, and that's the only time I could meet him. I would sneak out all of the time and meet him in his little camp. He'd tell me stories, told me about the old gods and the new. He told me about how to buy the metals, how to work them. And I told him stories about Westman's hold. I told him stories of the crag. I told him stories of Cortalum and the system. Oh. Yes. If only I'd understood how deep and corrupt the system was at the time. I would have warned. I would have told him to go away. It was his sacrifice that opened my eyes to the situation. Father Westpike stared at Rowena, who looked somewhat weaker than just a few hours before. Her sunken eyes catching glints of hope as their conversation continued. His eyes also fell to her back, the mended cloth that once held a cloak. Rowena, I am sorry. I am so sorry. Can you please let me see your shoulders? I saw the blood when the cloak ripped from your shoulders. I have not treated you to any extent. It's the least I can do to ease your burden. Uh, no, no, it's it's okay. I mean, these are things I've done. I have to live with them, so I'm okay with that. Besides, I've had plenty of sleep. Well, <laughs> we're trying to get plenty of sleep. Neither of us have slept really well since we left, have we? No, neither of us has really settled down at all. Are you gonna go find him? Are you going to go find your family? I have to find Silvio. I have to find out what happened to him. I have to figure out... This can't be. It's too long. Silvio is both the reason I have a wife and why I can't return to her. I have to find him. I have to get some answers. I have to understand what happened in the crack. Well, when we get out of here, we'll go find them. I mean, I've still got Paul here and there with, with the clan. I don't know what I got involved in, just know that I've gone on a bit of a sabbatical. Maybe we can find them. Maybe we can figure out what happened and get your wife back. I'm so sorry. I I don't talk about this, but you've clearly taken the wrong idea from what has happened to my wife and children. I know exactly where they are. I just can't return. Why not? Because they will kill them. They will be killed if I show my face in Westman's Holt. Not if I... Which is why I have... Which is why I have to ask you this, and I'm... I'm very glad to hear we're on the same page here. If I don't manage to return from this forest, from this expedition, you have to return to my wife. You have to tell her I was a good man and I left to protect them. I only got to leave them a letter and I... I'm going to put my arms around him. 
don't even have to have asked that. I will go find them, but you're gonna get out of here too, right? There's, there's no reason for you not to get out of here. I mean, we've been walking a bit, our food's a bit low, but, you know, there's a chance we can find other things and other people, and don't give up hope. Because if you give up that, then I've got, I've got absolutely nothing if you do that. Alright, so you keep your head up, and you keep smiling, and you keep doing what you have to do, but you're not, you are gonna see her again. One way or another. And I'm, I'm, if it'll make you feel better, I promise I'll go find her and, and your kids and whatnot, but you are getting out of here, okay? I hope that's true. I hope that's true for both of us. This place is hostile. It screams at me every time I look into the forest and it stares back at us. The silent one, the unnamed one. Everything here wants us dead. I, I've been... My luck is about to run out. I feel it. I've been so lucky for so long. Well, I've said it before, but I don't know how you got on without me before, and I'm here now. So, if your luck has changed, it's because I'm here. So, you're going to be more lucky, and you're getting out. So, we're just going to do our best to ignore the silent one, and the horribleness is in here, and we're going to get those kids, and we're leaving. We're getting out of here. Yeah. Okay. So, no, no more of this misery talk. None of this just-in-case. I'm not having that just-in-case conversation with you. Right? I don't want that. But just in case, you'll stand by your words. Of course I will. I mean, I don't exactly do a lot of responsibility. I really don't like it, but that's one thing you do have my word on. You are in no way your father's... She looks down and just smiles a bit. Well, that's all I can hope for. When we get out of here, I'm going to go see my wife. I'm going to show you my daughter. Show her somebody to aspire to be. Other than my wife, how do I speak? Oh, I can just say that maybe we ought to practice that speech before you see her. <laughs> she knows how bad I am at words. She gets the meaning, not the words. She is a beautiful woman. You're a good person. I'm glad I met you. I'm glad you... I'm glad I met you too. There's truly hope for the future of the Cortalum if more of you, if more like you are being born. She shrugs, rolls her eyes. She's like, you should get some sleep. You look like death warmed up. And I feel like it too. Go to sleep, I've... I've got this. We've not got long left anyway. And if things go wrong, just blame it on me. I mean, it's how it normally goes. Seriously, get some rest. You look terrible. He's leaning into the the shoulder hug you were giving him earlier. He feels small at this point. Well, he feels smaller than he actually is. <laughs> yeah, I should just keep her arm around him and just, like, refuse to let go until he goes to sleep. It's like, no, you're not doing anything. So, picking up that ash, said, no, just put it away. Just get some rest. Can we just do one last thing before I go to bed? Just in case I don't awaken. What's that? Can we sing a prayer for Samurai at Cavern's Fall? I know it's a sore topic, but I miss her dearly. And a prayer is perhaps the closest I will ever get to her again. Sure. But this time, we'll do a slightly happier version, okay? So I Dear Mark, 
grimu geislei regu klarver kisir dalor ho Dark Dice, Chapter 11, Scars. Starring David Alt as Ayas Inskeep, Peter Lewis as Soren Arkwright, Ithor Vithyarsson as Father Sindri Westpike, Cassie Rilinicki as Filgia the Witch, M. Cleveland as Lady Rowena Granitepike, Nora Merksmer as Baron, and Travis Van Groff as Dungeon Master, with transcriptions by Hem Cleveland. This episode was co-edited by Sarah Baczynski and Hemlock Creek Productions. Produced with sound design by Travis Van Groff, with mixing and mastering by Hemlock Creek Productions. This episode featured music by Travis Vengroff, Sambos Miller, Stephen Malin, and Fui Madain. To support this presentation and get access to bonus releases, music, and an early copy of the adventure, including transcriptions, artwork, and more, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash libertypodcast. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at DarkDicePod. This is a Fool and Scholar production. Thank you for listening. I'm assuming Westpike at this point is just done, and he's just falling asleep on you. Like, as you lay him down, helping him. Yeah, that's good. I'll tuck him into his little bedroll. <laughs> Put his nightcap on. <laughs> all right, all right. Little dwarf burrito. <clears throat> I mean... Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.